Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and blessings. Hello. And welcome to another installment of the Just for Freedom Estate. This show is produced by acclaimed historian, educator, and author, Leslie Gitt, and serves as our weekly live online discussion to celebrate the African-American experience by honoring all the people, past and present, black and white, who, with faith and focus, are preserving our rich history through literature, the arts, the skilled trades, and the humanities. We thank you for joining us tonight, and we'd love you to be a part of tonight's discussion by calling in with your comments or questions to 347-324-5552. Mr. Smith, could you introduce yourself to us? My name is Louis S. Smith III. I retired from Trenton Public Schools. I was a school social worker at uh, Trenton High, and I was also a ther- I was li- I'm licensed in New Jersey, and I did therapy with kids, after, you know, also. And my father was the co-founder of Operation Bootstrap and Shadana Toys, the, the toy factory. Oh, by the way, he did not like to be referred to as the owner. He hated that. He thought that it belonged to the community. In fact, he did not take a salary salary from the. If he was president of the of, of Shindana Toys, he would not take a salary for for a few years. And when they finally made him take a salary, the board of directors, he took fifty dollars a week. He was in core. Uh, he was the West Coast and Midwest regional regional director for core. And he left CORE, and, and him and his friend, Robert Hall, who was also in CORE, started an organization. It was a self-help organization called Operation Bootstrap in south-central L.A. And they taught blacks and Chicanos how to do uh, auto body work. They taught women how to do key punch, which was the big thing at that time. And then he thought black kids needed a positive self-image and he decided to make black dolls that looked like black people. And he talked the owners of Mattel, Elliot and Ruth Handler, out of $200,000 to start the toy company. Uh, I think it was 63rd and Central Avenue. His office for Operation Bootstrap was at 42nd and Central. And then they got a factory that took over. Pardon me? You got to um, say the city, the name of the city and state. Oh, it was in Los Angeles, California. Oh, okay. That's where the, the toy factory was in 60, 63rd, 61st or 63rd in Central Avenue in, in L.A. And uh, the first doll they made was called Baby Nancy. And they had they had, they got a group of people, artists, who, who designed the dolls. And all of their dolls looked like black people. Well... Then eventually they made some Asian dolls and some Native American dolls, but at first it was all just plain black dolls. And again, Baby Nancy was the first. Baby well, she made. Uh, she said, "I'm black and I'm proud." And I really can't remember. I, I don't have a baby. I have several of his dolls, but I don't have a Baby Nancy one. And and as I was telling you, Baby Nancy just went into the doll to the Toy Hall of Fame in Rochester, New York, last year. He wanted black kids to want to grow up to be nurses, doctors. 
uh, in fact, one of their dolls was called Wanda. She was a career doll, and they had Wanda dressed up as a nurse. Uh, they had Wanda's dressed up as airline attendants. I mean, you understand what if they, so that black girls could see themselves being something that they dreamed about wanting to be. Correct. And and that was that's why he kind of started the, the the company. He he just thought black kids needed a positive self image. And mm-hmm. again, he talked Ruth Elliot and Ruth Handler, the owners of Mattel out of $200,000 to start the company. Not only that, but Mattel protected them because there were a lot of companies in that industry, in the toy industry, that wanted to drive Shindana out of business. Okay. Now, you mentioned you also worked in, in the factory. Could you explain how the day-to-day work was? Well, I, just, I was just, like, doing my breaks from school. Like doing the University of California is what they call on what they call the quarter system. We went to school for ten weeks and then we had a break and then we went ten more weeks and had a break and then we had a spring quarter that went ten weeks and then we were out for the summer. Well, then between you know when I whenever I wasn't doing anything, I would go to L.A. and and volunteer to to work in the factory and uh, they had me doing all I was like boxing dolls or shrink wrapping dolls in box I mean in the in the back in the boxes they came in and uh, it was just fun to me uh, but uh, it, I, of course I didn't get paid <laughs> which I really wasn't expecting to anyway but like I was telling you he was a very unmaterialistic person uh, he 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 took fifty when they made him take a salary from the company. He took fifty dollars a week. Now, but how did he manage to negotiate this deal for this factory? After the watch, the first burning watch, Mattel wanted to do something in the black community, okay. and he had started him and Robert Hall had started Operation Bootstrap. So the owners of Mattel. And their general manager, Art Spears, had a meeting with my father and Robert Hall and some other people, and they liked his idea of starting a, a, a toy company. And some of the black workers from Mattel came over to work for Bootstrap, I mean, for Shindana Toys. But then they made black games. Uh, it was It was pretty interesting. And eventually, they opened up a daycare center because the entire labor force came from South Central L.A. The South Central L.A. is basically Watts. And that's where the labor force came from. And they opened up a daycare center with teachers and nurses that was right there in the company, in the factory, where the women who worked there could take their kids to, to work with them and, uh, and have them in the daycare center and doing their lunch. They would go over there and eat with their kids, and it was it was pretty cool. It was a pretty interesting setup. And then he wanted to build a University of Watts. In fact, when he died in the car accident, uh, when we went out there for the funeral, there was a, he had a, there was a model built up of what the University of Watts was going to look like. And okay. when 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 people would try to drive them out of business, tell 
Mattel was the biggest thing out. <laughs> and Mattel would go to bat and, and, and you know, kind of shield them from a lot of the stuff that people were trying to do to them. Uh, trust me, a lot of people did not like the fact that there was a black toy company. That that was that was not they they had problems getting their product to stores. Another company that really stepped in was Sears. Okay. Sears because that's that were national. Sears starts selling their dolls, and that mm-hmm. was a big boost to the business. And you were talking about the, the the black girls looking at the dolls and always picking the white doll. They did an experiment. They took a a black doll, Shadana, and I know this was my father's idea. They took a black doll and a white doll and put them in a house. I mean, in a box that was shaped like a house. Right. And they had they had psychologists look at these, and every psychologist told them this will never sell. And they really didn't try to sell it. They just wanted to, to see, you know, how people were going to react. And the psychologist told them, no matter you, people look at this box with this black doll and white doll in it, they're going to think it's a black man with a white woman, and they will not buy it. What made him so conscious? You know, what was his upbringing? He grew up in Philly. Uh, my grandfather, my grandfather became a Philadelphia cop. Uh, we had a farm in Virginia, and that was on my grandmother's side of the family, my paternal, my paternal grandmother. In fact, we just sold the farm a few years ago. It was in Westmoreland County, Virginia. That's who Booker T. Washington wrote the letter to, William Hamblin Johnson. He owned a farm that was almost 200 acres in Westmoreland County, Virginia, right down the road from George Washington's birthplace. And my father and my two uncles, every spring, they would leave school, catch they would be put on a train, and they would go down to the farm to help with harvesting during during the spring and summer. But and he raised Okay, then shortly after he he got involved with the doll the doll um No, 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 no. He was involved in core and Philly. And then he became the chairman of the Philadelphia chapter of core. Okay. And then from there in fact I have the letter that he wrote when he resigned. He resigned as the chairman of CORE in Philly, but what he happened was he became the director of Southeastern Pennsylvania chapters of CORE. And then again, around when I graduated from eighth grade in 64, is when they asked him to go to Mississippi and be director of CORE in Mississippi. And again, Cheney, Goodwin, and Schwerner were um, uh, the three civil rights workers that were killed. They he was he was their supervisor, and in fact, now you like this because you're from Jersey. Cheney was the black one; he was from Mississippi, but his family migrated to South Jersey. Okay. And I live in Burlington Township, which you're up north, but you know we know where Willingboro is. I have two friends. I have a, a roommate that lives in Burlington oh. County, and I have a former uh, best friend from high school that lives in Burlington. Burlington okay. Township. Well, they live well, right down the street from one another. In Burlington Township? Yep. 
Well, I might know him because that's where I live at. I live in Township, but Willingboro was right next door. Cheney's family, when they migrated, they migrated to the Willingboro or Morristown area. of, of And when my daughter was in seventh grade or eighth grade, one of the two, I used to do talks at, at blacks at schools for Black History Month. And by the way, I do not like Black History Month, even though one of my frat brothers, Carter G. Woodson, was the founder of it. I because to me it's every day. In New Jersey yeah. in New Jersey, high school kids have to take US history one and US history two. And to me when, when they're taking that, they should learn what everybody did, not just one group of people. They should learn what everybody did to make this country what it is. So Are I'm you never, familiar with the Amistad Commission? With the what? Amistad Commission. No, I'm not. I know what Amistad is, but what do, I don't know about the commission. The, the, the Amistad Commission law that stated each state has to um, create a curriculum and infuse black history into every subject throughout the whole year. And Stephanie James, uh, I don't know her her new her married name, but Stephanie James Wilson um, is the director of the Amistad, and she's doing an excellent job. She held um, summer workshops for mainly history teachers, um, mm -hmm. all different colors, different nationalities from all over the state, to make sure that they had enough equipment, they have access to this information so they can infuse our story in every part of the curriculum, every subject, at every grade level. Yeah, but if that's if that's the case, then why is this this big thing about critical race theory? Well, you know, one of the things that, and I read your bio, um, it seems as though you were part of the Board of Education at one point. Yeah, I worked um, for Trenton, Trenton Board of Ed that has to be done is that the parents have to get involved with the um, PTA meetings. They have to go. To oh, school. you are absolutely correct. I used to preach that to parents because mm -hmm. I used to say, listen, I'm part of the system. Right. I right. can say something. They can just shine me off. Right. But when parents get involved and parents start complaining, Things will get changed. So you said you were part of a game that you yeah. The, well, when they the, the one of the games they made was a black experience game, and I helped make some of the sports questions for the, for that game when I was in college, out in California. But how would I how would I incorporate that? Yeah. Yes. Okay. My office was the hangout. Kids love coming into my office. Because I would give them, they say, Mr. Smith, give us a black history lesson or tell us some of the things about your childhood, which I was schizophrenic. My childhood was crazy. I was a gang member growing up. I had problems with my color. I had problems. I'm very light, and I had problems with that because I was accepted, usually accepted by white kids and by white teachers where some of my friends who were darker weren't. And one of the one, all right, I'll just be honest. In the late fifties, around fifty-eight or so, I was diagnosed as ADHD, and they were studying Ritalin at that time, and they had me on a medication called phenobarbital, which is 
for seizures. But at that time, they were using it as like a miracle drug. And I slept for, I, I still only sleep four or five hours a night. I, I, I just don't sleep a lot. And I couldn't read. Now, I had black friends who were in the same white schools. We went to the same white school who couldn't read also. But because I was so light, they, they, they assigned me to a reading specialist. And that woman saved my life. First, she got me to say I can because I would say I can't. And then she had me read comic books. And because I was always into sports, she had me read books about sports. And I used to tell parents in therapy sessions and in school, you want your kid to read, buy them something that they're interested in. For example, I read a book, at least a book a week, usually a book and a half, two books a week now that I'm retired. But if you gave me a book on quantum physics, hey, that's going to collect dust because I was never interested in that. They tried to train people for jobs. Again, there was a guy, James Jones, who idolized my father. He was from Texas, and he had a, a big garage right at 42nd and Central. And he agreed to bring in blacks and Chicanos to teach them how to do auto body work, how to paint cars, how to fix cars, how to, how to take dents out of bumpers. And, and then with the women, they started teaching key punch. He had peop- they had people, him and Robert Hall had people come in who would teach black women how to do key punch. And, and this was way back in the 60s. I mean, they don't even do that anymore. But that was to prepare them for jobs, in, in that industry, in the computer industry. And there were a few other things they did, too. Uh, and I, I can't remember what they were. And then they started the factory, and then the, the, a lot of the emphasis switched over to, to hiring people from the community to work in the factory. It was, it, well, Chindana was what they called a CDC, a Community Development Corporation. They still have that. What is that? What, tell me the history. How does that work? I well, all those wh- okay. CDCs, to me, if you're in, all right, what town do you live in? Um, I'm in Passaic County. Okay. All right. Uh-huh. Say you live in Passaic, and, and you want to start a factory in Passaic. You want, if, you're, if it's going to be a CDC, then your workforce is going to come from that community where that factory is. And that's how I was telling you, that's how Shindana was. 99% of the workers from Shindana could almost walk to work because it was in their neighborhood. And then so when they when built up an organization or agency get created? Well, I, that I don't know. I just know that, okay. that Chandana Toys was would, would be considered uh, a CDC, a Community okay. Development Corporation. And, again, their workforce came from that neighborhood, and then when they built up enough capital, it was my father's dream to start the daycare center. The daycare center was called Honeycomb, and it was in part of the factory, and the women, it was mostly women who worked there, and the women could bring their kids their young kids to school to work with them, drop them off in the daycare center, and then when they went to eat lunch, they could go right in the daycare center and eat lunch with their kids. 
and they had teachers and nurses who worked in in the daycare center. And you know now you're cutting down on on uh, childcare, which is expensive. Oh my God, daycare is expensive, and but it didn't cost these women anything because they worked at the factory. All the okay. profits from the factory went back, most of it went back into the community to help the community. And all right, undergrad, my degree is in economics. But even in college, I always worked with kids. I was always involved in mentoring and tutoring programs. I've never worked, and I was into urban, I mean, community development. That was, that's where, I, because of my father and because of what I was seeing him do and I was also helping with that stuff. Uh, that was what I wanted to do, but I always worked with kids. After graduating, I never worked in, in corporate America a day in my life. I always worked with kids, always. From the day I, from my first job, I was always helping people. Uh, that's, wow. you know. That's, now, uh, you also mentioned Booker T. Washington and your grandfather. Could you um, delve into that? Well, my my grandfather, my great grandfather, William Hamlin Johnson, owned a farm in Baines Bainesville, Virginia, which is in Westmoreland County. Westmoreland County, Virginia, is called the home of the presidents. Washington was from there. Madison was from there. Monroe was from there. Uh, Robert E. Lee, on one side of my great grandfather's farm. About two miles down the road was the Robert E. Lee Plantation. About five miles on the other side was was the uh, George Washington's birthplace. Uh, and he he owned the farm. He had a logging company. He owned a general store, and he was the postmaster general for that area. And as I like to tell people, he lent money to white people. <laughs> Ham was Ham was really he was he was like that. I think he was from North Carolina, South Carolina, one of the two. Uh, but that's that's what that's what Ham Johnson did, William Hamlin Johnson, and he became friends with Booker T. Washington, and he lent Booker T. Washington some material to write an article, and Booker T. was returning it to him. To via a man named Stokes who worked, and I can't remember his first name, who worked with Booker T. Washington, and he was in that area. He was going to be in that area, and Booker T. gave him the material and his letter thanking my great grandfather, my great great grandfather, for so my great great grandfather thanking him for lending him the material, and then Booker T. Washington started a National Businessmen's Association, Black Businessmen, Negro Businessmen's Association. Okay. And I have another certificate where my great-great-grandfather was either the ninth or the 11th lifetime member. Uh, and it was a lifetime membership back then was $25, which was right. a lot of money. Right. And I, I'm also, I also have that certificate. I'm looking at that certificate, too. But, I mean, so I was blessed that way that, you know, that my family kept records of of who was in the family. I have a uh, Jack and Jill organization. Right. Are you familiar with that? Yeah. Well, well it, was fa- it was founded in Philly. Okay. And one of my 
And my grandfather's cousin, Dottie Wark, she was one of the founders of the Jack and Jill program, and her father, William Wark, was he graduated from University of Penn Med School around in the late 1890s. Now, black kids weren't seeing doctors, so I never knew him. He died way before I was born. But I always thought, man, what kind of man was this who wanted to be a doctor when he never saw black doctors? And that's and that's one that was one of the reasons why the, the dolls. I mean, my father wanted to make dolls for people, for black kids, so they could see someone who looked like him. As my father said, he's not going to make white dolls that are dipped in chocolate. That was, that was his um, that was I his like expression. It. I like. Yeah, it. I like. I liked it too. When I read it, I never heard him say it, but when I read it, and I told my sister about it, she said that sounds just like that. Because that's that's the way he talked, and but uh, and he raised us that way. I was always raised that if you don't love yourself, it's in you're incapable of loving anybody else. Because if you don't love yourself, you don't know what love is. And my father would say, I don't mean loving yourself, being stuck on yourself, but feeling good about yourself. If you don't, you can't love anybody else because you don't know what you can admire someone else. You can worship someone else. You can adore someone else, but you can't really love them because you don't know what love is. Perfect. Because love yeah. starts with you yourself. Know, How did you know? What was he doing um, right before he passed? What was going on in his life? What when he was? When he was when he passed, he passed at a young age when he left his earth. What, yes. what organizations was he involved in? Oh, my father. He was. He was. Uh, he was still with uh, $10 Toys. In fact, that, my last conversation with him, he said, I got to go back to L.A. because I got some meetings I go to. And he said, this is going to be a big year for the company, for 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 the toy company. And and that was my last conversation. But I was on a Friday evening. They left. And then that Sunday, they had the accident in Arizona and where Matt died. And the next day, my father died. And how old but, uh, was she? She was nine. I think Matt was nine. But all I know is she was in the eighth grade at nine, nine or ten years old. And the only reason why she wasn't skipped any more than that, she was playing the piano, and she was very smart, very, very, very smart. My sister, who's three years younger than I am, she's very, very, very smart. Uh, I always told people I was the dumb one in the field. I have two other siblings, uh, another half-brother and another half-sister. And uh, the youngest didn't know our father. She she never knew him. But, uh, you know, it was just interesting. It was just, you know, I was, you know, I, all right, I'm going to be uh, honest. Let me, let me My father and I didn't have a good relationship when I was a teenager because he was all over the world. Literally, but my mother raised my sister and I, and I was mad at my father. He never saw me play football. He never saw me run track. What I didn't know is that my grandmother, his mother, was sending him articles wherever he was in the country about what I was doing. I didn't know that until I, until I got to California, actually. And uh, it was, 
you know, uh, so, you know, I had some resentment there because he wasn't there, but because if we got together, had a big argument, sat down with a couple bottles of Coke and a fifth of rum that night, and after that, we were cool. <laughs> we talked uh-huh. about everything. He was he was like that. He he he, he could he could get you to agree to anything. I mean, he was just yeah. uh, he just was like that. But uh, I'm so glad that we got together. That, that and by the time he died, we were we were never really that like father and son too much, but we were great friends, great friends. Right now, um, you also told me he taught. At a university, right? He taught he taught a class at Irvine in the Black Studies program. Uh, it was called Contemporary Problems. It was one day a week, and it was on Fridays, and it was a three-hour class. And to be honest, and I'm not just saying this because he was my father, but people I went to school with will tell you it was the most it was one of the most popular classes on the campus. And friends who took the class say to this day that's the best class they ever had. He uh, he had all kind of people come in and, and talk, and he was just thought-provoking. He got you to think, think differently. Kids used to tell me, Trent, nah, Mr. Smith, you think strange. And I'm like, well, you all need to be think strange. Like I used to tell him, they hang out on the court. I said, all the police want to do is get you to the police station and fingerprint you. They really don't care if the charges stick, unless it's a murder or something like that. But they just want to get your fingerprints. And I say, you know what happens to those fingerprints? Well, yeah, they stay in the police station. No, they don't. They go into the National Crime Data Bank, and you can go to Alaska. If you commit a crime and they fingerprint you and run those prints through, it'll show everywhere you've been, everywhere you've, you've, you've had trouble with the law. And mm-hmm. kids will look at me like, are you serious? I'm saying, yes. And you guys are falling right into the trap right now. Yes. But listen, um, if, yes. if you want, if you want, I can burn a copy of this CD. It was like a 90-minute program, and my uncle recorded it on a reel-to-reel, and over the years it broke, and by the time I got it, uh, it was like down to 62 minutes. But it's Malcolm X, my father, and a Baptist minister from Camden. And Malcolm and the minister get into it. But if you want a copy, if you if you message me your the address to send it to, I'll I'll get one off in the mail to you. Okay, perfect. All right, last question: What happened after your dad passed to the Shindaya doll? <sighs> the economy. If you if you if you remember. Back in the 80s, when Reagan became governor, the economy just, the bottom fell out of the economy for everybody. And Mattel couldn't protect him anymore, and and the company eventually went out of business. But uh, I always thought that if my father had had been alive, that wouldn't have happened because he was just so, it was his baby. I mean, you know, it was his brainchild, and he he would have done whatever he had to do to keep the company, but basically the, the the whole country, the economy just fell went went to pieces, and a lot of businesses went out of you know went out of, and that's when the people who wanted in Shindana 
really attacked it and and they couldn't they they couldn't defend themselves wow all right well this has been a very um interesting interview all right before we get off can i say two things hey seriously send me your your address and stuff and i'll and i'll get this i'll get it off early in the week there's a copy of this cd Mm -hmm. go ahead no what was i going to say Uh, oh well, God! Oh no, no! You ever hear the term "absolute power"? Yes. All right, I've seen it. I've seen it in. I've seen it work one time. My senior year of college, my roommate. We're still good friends. We were gonna have this bachelor apartment and stuff, so we weren't gonna have furniture. We were gonna have these pillows, these big pillows, all over the you know the living room and stuff. So my father, he liked that idea. He said, get to L.A. I was only 35 miles south of L.A. He said, get to L.A. And he says, I'll give you all the stuff and you want. So we borrowed this Volkswagen van without seats in it from this white guy, went to L.A. And when we got there, my father was in his office, and he was arguing with somebody on the phone. So he, he like said, like he put his finger up to his lips, like, be quiet. And then he told me to pick up the extension. Well, I picked it up. And he was arguing with a guy. Now, you never think about this, but baby bottles, baby shoes, brushes, combs, mirrors, you don't think about it, but you ever see a doll box, a doll without some of that stuff in it? No. There was a company that was right near Mattel. who That's what they made. And Mattel kept this company in business. He did business with my father, but Mattel was his big you know, moneymaker. And he was slow with the deliveries. Well, they can't shrink wrap the dolls in the plastic until they have all this stuff in it. So my father was arguing with him, and the man said verbatim, nigger, when I get it to you, that's when you'll have it. Now, I heard this, right? (laughs) So they hung up, and I told my father, I said, man, F this dude. Let's go there and just take the shit, right? He says, I knew you were going to say that. He says, I'm going to show you another way of dealing with it. He called Art Spears. Art Spears was the general manager of Mattel. Ruth Handler had the money. Elliot Handler had the idea to start Mattel. But Art Spears made them all multimillionaires, including himself. So my father called Art and told him, and he said, Lou, I'm going to call our warehouse they're going to call you to see what you need, and we'll have that stuff to you this afternoon. So my father hung up the phone. Ten minutes later, this same white dude calls him up, and now it's Mr. Smith. Ain't no more niggas. It's Mr. Smith. I don't know. I've been having a bad time. I really don't think like that. I'll have that stuff to you. And please call Mr. Spears back and tell him we resolved this problem. Wow. So my father knew what happened. He called Art Spears up and said, Art, I think he learned his lesson. And Art said, nope. What Art Spears did, he called the man and canceled all Mattel's orders. Wow. Put the man out of business with one phone call. And Art blamed it on my father. 
<laughs> and my father said, what do you mean? He said, before, and this is what Art Spear said. He said, before I met you, I would have put up with stuff. Because Art was white. He said, before I met you, I would have put up with that. But you raised my consciousness level to a degree where I can't put up with that anymore. And he said, now, Lou, I know how you think, and I know what I was doing. I know I was putting this man out of business. So I told him to send all his employees to Mattel, and I'll make sure they all get a job. Now, me and my roommate, in fact, my roommate and I were just talking about this last month when we were talking. He said, man, remember that time you you and Art Spears put the man out of business with one phone call. That's absolute power. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, but my roommate and I sat there looking at each other with our mouths open saying, what is it like to have that kind of power? But anyway, it's been great talking to you. And again, send me your address, and I will definitely get it. I just mailed out a couple last week. I've, I've made about 500 copies of this because everybody, once they find out about it, everybody wants it. But uh, just just send it to me, and, I, and I'll get it off in the mail to you. You there? I will do so. Well, thank you okay. for coming on. No, thank you for thank you for calling. It's uh, you you got my number, right? Yes. No, I you don't. I don't have your number. I don't know. Does it show? Is it showing up? I'll call you right back, and if I don't, I'll message you on Messenger. Okay, and I'll give you my cell number, and you know you can call whenever you want. And I and I enjoy your posts on Facebook. I I really do. And thank you for doing that. Thank you for help trying to educate people. Thank you, Mr. Smith. We'll be in touch. Just call me Lou, please. All right, Lou. We'll we'll be in touch. Okay. Thank you again. All right. Bye bye.